in a world where everybody's from New York and everybody's hey I'm walking here and everybody else is hey forget about it go Yankees and the rest of the people are uh, go Mets I don't like the Yankees as much as I like the Mets cuz I grew up in Brooklyn <laughs> there's only one man whose knowledge of New York is limited who can cross the street without getting hit by the taxi cabs <laughs> cuz hey I'm walking here and I am that man <laughs> hey Welcome to Geek Film Critic, where we explore the best, worst, and most middle in the world of cinema. I'm Luke Jackson, I'm your host, I'm your best friend, and I'm the guy who's shamingly, shamelessly ripping this bit off from another podcast. But shh, you'll never tell. Um, yeah, it's good to be here this week. Uh, this week, I picked a classic film. <clears throat> Excuse me. I picked a classic film which I've never had the chance to see before. Um, it's A Nightmare on Elm Street, and uh, old-school 80s cinema, or horror cinema, I should say. It's a pretty dark spot in my film repertoire. I, I never watched them growing up. My my mom absolutely despises horror films, so you know I haven't seen like the original Friday the 13th. Like I said, A Nightmare on Elm Street. I've only caught like The Shining and movies like that pretty recently in my uh, life, and so I decided this is a good time to try to play some catch-up with that, and so I, I sat down and watched A Nightmare on Elm Street, and uh, one thing that I wanted to start doing in this podcast is because I was checking out my, I was talking to my marketing team, um, and I was noticing that a lot of people dip out in the first couple minutes of the episode when I do the snap synopsis, which is totally fine. Hey, I don't want to listen to me either. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do uh, what I'm calling a minute synopsis. So I'm going to put a minute on the clock. We're going to count down, and I'm going to summarize this film in one minute. Ready, begin. Nightmare on Elm Street stars a group of sexually fluent teenagers as they grapple with reality trying to fight a monster named Freddy Krueger with knives for claws, knives for hands. Well, he has knife gloves, and he's hunting these teenagers in their dreams. And if you die in your dream, you die for real. That's all it took, 20 seconds. Easy. Next week, I'll do a 20-second synopsis. Because um, I'm saving you time. Hey, we're going to get in and out of this real quick, both of us. And so... I'm also another, that's the synopsis of Nightmare on Elm Street, hopefully that made sense. Freddy Krueger's killing teenagers who like to do it, because, you know, once again, teenage sexuality is the downfall of this nation. Um, and I'm also going to kind of switch up the way that I uh, talk about the movies, because I wanted to make it more cohesive, more easy to listen to, and so we're just going to kind of split the movie in half into the things that were good about it, and the things that were bad about it. And so I'm going to start with the things that were good, the bops, if you will, the bops and the flops, we're working on it. I'll get back to you on, on the name of the of what I'm calling it. Um, so the good things about this film, in terms of aging, this film has not aged well. It's aged a little bit like milk in a traditional sense. Like as far as like if it's a good movie, the answer is no. It's not. It's not a movie that's compelling and deep and thematically brilliant. It's very surface level, very shallow, and it doesn't come across very well and I or you know even scary in that sense it doesn't it doesn't really fit into the horror genre as we know it today where things have gotten 
generally pretty scary. I, I'm <laughs> I'm quite frightened to touch the horror genre that's coming out today because it's so demonic and real. <laughs> and that stuff freaks me out. Um, but in terms of like, if this movie is fun to watch, it's aged brilliantly, right? Like the story's rushed and impulsive and the character development's pretty rough and the acting is subpar. But this movie is goofy as hell and so much fun to watch. And so it's it's kind of, and I think a lot of 80s horror has kind of fallen into this genre of kind of just being like campy, cheesy, and so fun. Like Child's Play, like I said, Friday the 13th. Again, these movies, and there's eight of them, right? There's so many of the Freddy Krueger franchise. And so, right, like these movies have kind of become their own thing in today's society, which which I think, um, I'm trying to think of a better way to say little bitches. <laughs> People who are scared of horror movies today like me could kind of go back and enjoy these ones because they're not as scary because they're so cheesy. <laughs> and so that, you know, I really enjoyed it. I think that was a good part of the movie. And also Robert Eng- England as Freddy Krueger was so good. He was a great physical actor because he's so goofy. The first scene where, like, I mean, the opening credits were introduced to him in a sense. We kind of get these shadows and he pops up all over the place. But the first time we see his full body is probably about 15 minutes in where the uh, seemingly main character, Tina, is, like, outside and she's seeing him for the first time. And what he does is he has these... His arms are normal human arms. We see like the silhouette, but then they like begin to stretch and they're huge. Like they've got to be probably five feet long on both sides. He's got this 10 foot wingspan <laughs> and he never uses this power again of like Mr. Fantastic stretching his arms like elastic, but it made me laugh so hard because this was our first introduction and we just see this wacky inflatable tube man. With these outstretched arms, and it's like the actor must have been holding right like broomsticks under his costume or whatever, with uh, the claws attached to the end of it to kind of get this effect down. <laughs> and it like it looks like it; you could barely hold them up, so they're shaking. And anyways, cracked me up. Super funny. And then he chases um, T- Tina. He chases Tina and his run as well is so goofy his arms are in the air again like a like a freaking wacky inflatable tube man and he just chases her kind of like he's constipated from the waist down with these arms so good so funny and i i thought it was hilarious such a good introduction to this character and you know admittedly i even fell for for the first kind of twist the film starts out with this girl tina having a bad dream about freddy krueger and she wakes up and she's like talking to her friends about this bad dream and so she, and then her parents are leaving. So she's like, I can't sleep alone. Will you come over? And they do. And they have a sleepover. And then there's like a noise in the night and she goes out and there's Freddy Krueger. And so I was like, I, I wrote this down in my notes. I was like, why would she have her friends over for a sleepover if she's just going to bail on her house and bail on them like at the first sign and walk alone outside at the first sign of danger. But then turns out this is a dream. So I totally fell for that twist. It got me. It was great. Tina wakes up and then she dies. And this was our main character, right? Like this is who we started the film with and who we followed for the first 18 minutes. And then the film shifts onto Nancy, her friend. And, you know, I think this, I've, I've always liked the idea of, you know, we start with a character, that character dies, and then we follow another character. And I think everyone who likes movies or like 
has thought of a literary tale at all, some sort of narrative, has kind of thought about that cool switch of tricking the audience into following one person with like traditional themes and motifs and then having like a sudden, because it's just a good way to twist and start the audience off with kind of like a subversion of reality. We're not sure what's real. We're not sure who we're following. But it's hard to execute that. And I thought this movie did that really well of executing the whole, the main character who we see at the beginning of the film is not who we actually follow. Because we don't meet Nancy, the actual main character, until whatever, eight minutes in. And then she has very little screen time until Tina dies, right? She's not the main character. And then she is for the other hour and 10 minutes. And so I thought this movie did that very, very well. The other thing this movie did brilliantly was opening lines. I've never seen a movie that had opening lines for characters done better. They were so wild. In the first scene, after Tina wakes up from her initial Freddy Krueger dream, her mom comes in and she's like, you doing okay? That was some dream. And her dad pops in and he's like this balding dude with a wife beater and he goes, he says, you coming back to the sack or what? <laughs> and we never see this character again. And it, I had to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard. I thought it was like, what a way to introduce a character. <laughs> what a telling way to, to show that men only think about one thing by saying, you're coming back to the sack or what? I know our daughter's crying, but daddy needs his milk. <laughs> Killed me. And then later, Freddy's first line like he's in the he kind of he says Tina throughout the f- opening credit sequence but his first like real speaking line is Tina goes, "Oh my god." And he holds up his knife hands and he goes, "This is God." <laughs> it makes no sense cuz why is his knife hands God? I thought it was so good. Again, great opening line. Way to introduce us to this character. Way to introduce us to how wild this movie's going to be. And then the the last opening line which was so good was Rod's. And Rod is this character who has a very interesting impact on the film. His importance is very wavering. (laughs) And I'll get to that when I get into kind of the bad section of this movie. But his line, his introduction line was so good. Tina's walking with Nancy and talking about how she like woke up with like a rip in her dress. And then Rod, this dude pops out of nowhere and says, I had a heart on when I woke up this morning with your name on it, Tina. (laughs) That's the first thing he says. He's not in this conversation. He jumps into this conversation by saying, Hey, I woke up this morning with a heart on and it had your name on it. And then Tina comes back with a pretty great great quip and is like, My name's got four letters. There's no way you got room on your piece for that. Great small penis joke. Really good. I thought it was really funny. But what a way to introduce a character out of nowhere. And the wild thing about this line is it works and Rod totally gets laid. (laughs) like 10 minutes later it's in a different scene but he shows up in the middle of the night to tina's house totally works dude gets laid (laughs) and i thought like how that worked is beyond me what a what a wild world wes craven the writer and director lives in to be like yeah teenagers are gonna believe that because that's how it works because you know i try this you know i try this and what happens to me is i get why are you in my house i'm calling the police who are you but somehow when rod does it works for him (laughs) Another thing that I really enjoyed in this movie was a lot of, like, the effects were good and the direction, the cinematography. Again, in terms of, like, aging and how they look by 2021 standards, they don't look very good. But in terms of how they influence the horror genre, it's so evident. And 
really opened the door, I think, to a lot of cool ideas and a lot of cool horror. And I think the ideas were executed really well, even though the effects have not aged as beautifully. Um, the first one that I, that I really liked was the bathtub drowning scene. Nancy's in the bathtub. And the shot we see is from the end of the bathtub through her legs. And Freddy's hand kind of creeps up out of the bathtub and then kind of goes back into the water. And it looks cool. It's a cool shot. And then he pulls her down. And then we're in like a big pool with like a light above. And she's drowning in this bathtub that's suddenly become like as deep as the ocean. And it's just kind of like a cool idea. It's a cool shot. And it worked well. You know, it's creepy. And this movie, what it does really well is it makes household and commonplace things creepy. Like sleep in a bathtub. Right, they're not traditional, oh, that's scary things, but it does a good job of playing with that, that there's hidden fears and hidden horror in these commonplace things. Um, there's also later, kind of towards the end of the movie, I believe when Nancy's walking through her house, and it's it's kind of like it's in her dream and she's looking for Freddy, Freddy's hands are kind of all over the place, like they creep up. And again, this is where Robert Englund's um, physical acting comes in, is he, he's just very good at creeping around. And he just looks creepy. The way he moves his hands are creepy. And he did a great job there. And so I kind of like that sequence. Another sequence that I really enjoyed was uh, at one point Nancy's running away from Freddy. And she starts to run up the steps. And the steps kind of turn to goop beneath her feet. And so she's like dealing with this quicksand sort of steps. And they look like normal stairs. But she's sinking into them. And like it, the, what happened is they just built stairs. And they put foam in it. Right? Like that's all it was. But... It looked really cool, and I thought it was a really good way of like physically showing how hard it is to run in a dream. It was very, very smart. Even though, again, by today's standards, it didn't look awesome, but the idea looked cool, and the idea was executed well, in my opinion. There was also a scene, the other thing that I liked of these effects was um, the phone rings and Freddy's calling, and Freddy goes like, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy, and then... Nancy rips the phone on the wall and then it rings again on the bed and she picks it up and the end of the phone turns into Freddy's tongue and he goes la, 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 la. <laughs> and it's just like like they took play-doh and put it on the end of a phone and it looks bad and I loved it again it's just like a funny idea and I loved it the last kind of effect that I liked was um when Johnny Depp died and they did the blood geyser and this this scene is really famous and I could be wrong I could have I should have fact-checked this but I didn't um, I, I believe until The Shining, this was the m most blood used in the film, but that could be that could be very wrong. Um, I'm not actually 100% sure on that. But anyways, The Shining was before this movie, so I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the blood in this film was great, and this scene was great where Johnny Depp gets sucked into the bed, and a blood geyser just shoots out, and there's so much blood, and it looks bad. But it is very cool how how they how they pulled it off. I'm not sure how they pulled it off. The the room must have been upside down, right? And then they had blood pouring out, but out of like some power hose. But it looked pretty impressive for the '80s. And um, like kind of kind of like I said, a lot of these effects didn't age well in a traditional sense. But it's very clear why this movie spawned seven sequels and was such a hit because it just did these things in a way that felt fresh to me for an 80s film, an 80s horror film, where 
it was fun to watch. And at the time, I'm sure the jump scares were creepy. And I'm sure it looked great and felt spooky. But it just doesn't today. But it's the influences in today's horror are definitely present. Uh, now we're going to go into some of the things that I thought were bad about the movie. Some of the flops. Um, first thing, the writing was pretty rough <laughs> throughout the film. While it was funny, like the opening lines, it was mostly just bad. And I kind of wanted to highlight a couple of the scenes that were just like so horribly written. I just could not, <laughs> could not get behind it. Um, Nancy is Tina's best friend. And Nancy's like coming to terms with Tina's death at the police station. And the exchange is so wild because Nancy's best friend was just murdered in the house. And the dad goes, <laughs> the dad goes, I know you're stressed. But what were you doing having a sleepover? What the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> it just like, out of nowhere, this dad just accosts his daughter, whose best friend was just murdered in the night. And he's like, why are we having a sleepover? That's against the rules. <laughs> just so insensitive, so uncaring. And I guess, you know, maybe my dad just did a good job and dads are just like this. Because there seems to be a theme <laughs> in movies where somebody dies and <laughs> the f there's always one guy who's like, What's the matter with you? <laughs> You're an idiot. Anyways, killed me. And then Nancy's response, they kind of go back and forth for a minute, where Nancy's like, it couldn't have been her boyfriend. Their fights weren't that serious. And then Nancy's mom's like, I guess you can't, I guess you say murder's not serious. And Nancy says, how can you say I don't take her death seriously? Just like that. Every vowel in the sentence becomes an A. And it was such bad acting. <laughs> and I just, I had to pause the movie again because it was so bad that she was like, how can you say I don't take her death seriously? Hey, but she tried her best and it was funny. <laughs> Which I get wasn't the intent because her best friend was just murdered, but these, the, the exchange was wild. And later on, there's this line where Nancy's in the bathtub before she gets pulled under and the mom knocks on the door and she says... She says, and I quote, I heated up some warm milk for you. And I had to rewatch this because it felt weird that she said this. And it, again, it could just be me because I don't drink warm milk. But does somebody say I heated up some warm milk for you? Why wouldn't you just say I heated up some milk for you? <laughs> and I'm going to die on this hill because heated up milk is warm milk. But why don't you just say you warm milk isn't a beverage. You heat milk up to become warm milk. So you don't say I heated up some warm milk. You heated up some milk. <laughs> I thought it was... So, I don't know why that line stuck out to me, but I thought it was so odd that she said I heated up some warm milk. <laughs> Which is less important than this next part. Because the last line and kind of that I wanted to highlight was when Johnny Depp dies, you know, all the cops come to his house. And... They go up, like the ambulance comes and they, like, they're they pulling out this stretcher and this guy's like, hey, help me with this stretcher. And so they get the stretcher and they go up and this cop kind of leans in and makes this quick quip. He's like, hey, you don't need a stretcher up there. You need a mop. <laughs> like, in what situation is that appropriate? A teenage boy just died. You're outside of the house. The parents are still there. <laughs> and you're like, hey. They don't need a stretcher. He needs a mop. Nice one, John. But a child is dead here, so let's show some. Let's show some sensitivity. <laughs> um, another thing that frustrated me about the th film that I thought was bad was when Rod, this character with the hard on, who 
is kind of accused of murdering Tina. When he dies, the film like takes a break and the pacing changes and they all go to his funeral and it's like a big deal. And like the mom is like, Tina's struggling now because Rod died. Or Nancy's struggling now because Rod died. Even though like when Tina died, it was just kind of like get over it. But now that this dude who they weren't really friends, like it didn't seem like they really liked Rod that much. And so it was so confusing to me that this film stopped to kind of acknowledge Rod's death. And I think I think what what would have been better in the film is if they kind of switched. Like if Rod died in the first scene, I think that would have been fine. Right? Like I don't think we would have missed him. And then having Tina die here would have made a lot more sense in terms of like this pushing Tina over the edge and this pushing her parents to be like, okay, something is going on and we need to deal with this. Because Rod isn't important. It made no sense to me because Rod was just this weird character they didn't really care about. Um, another thing that came, came out of nowhere was Nancy's mom being a drunk. It was like kind of half mentioned when uh, Nancy goes to like a, a sleep analysis lab where they analyze her sleep and she pulls Freddy Krueger's hat out of the dream. And Nancy confronts her mom and is like, oh, at least I don't drink my problems away. Maybe I should do that like you. And it's and I was like, oh, is she a, is she a drunk? And then after this scene, her being a drunk is like the most prevalent part because she like installs all these bars on the house and on her house so Nancy can't get out. And so Nancy's confined to her house. So she can get some rest. And, like, nobody can get in. Like, it's wild. And she does this because she's drunk. But throughout the rest of the film, she's not. And so this really came out of left field for me. And I I don't know if I missed something in the earlier scenes with Nancy's mom. But it was just kind of, like, it felt like it was like, well, what if Nancy's mom's a drunk? Put it in the movie. Like, halfway through. Um, the last thing I want to say that was bad about this movie was... At the end, in the kind of final showdown between Nancy and Freddy... Nancy's whole plan is to bring Freddy out of the dream and have her dad or somebody else kill her. And so she brings Freddy out of the dream and she's like booby-trapped her house and she's running around and she's like going to the windows because Johnny Depp just died and she's like, help, help, send my dad over here. I have the killer come into my house. And there's this cop who's outside of the outside in the yard because Johnny Depp lives right across the street and is like looking and Nancy's like, to this cop specifically, get my dad, I have the killer in the house. And this cop is just like, oh, we've got everything under control here. Don't even worry about it. And anyway, so she runs away because she's going to get murdered by Freddy Krueger, goes to another window, and she like cries for help like four times. And each time this cop is just kind of like looking at her dumbfounded. And then after about like the fourth time, he's like, oh, maybe I should get her dad. <laughs> I thought it was so funny that this cop each time is like, huh, what do you need? It's okay. We've got it handled. And this teenage girl is like, I'm going to die. The murderers in my house really, really threw me off. I thought it was so goofy. Um, as an extra, this was neither good or bad. I just kind of thought this was interesting. The ending of the film is really interesting because, right, we like we, we see Nancy sort of deny Freddie from his power and kind of turn away from him and walk away so he loses control because she doesn't fear him anymore 
at the very end of the movie. That's kind of the resolution. And then she wakes up in this sort of weird, misty dream reality where her mom's alive, all of her friends are alive, and she gets into the car. The car, the convertible folds over, and it's like Freddy Krueger's sweater, and it drives away, and then Freddy Krueger rips his Nancy's mom through the door. Like his hand shoots out and pulls her through the door. And so it's like this whole idea of like what's reality, what's not. Did Nancy really beat Freddy Krueger? And so Wes Craven, he wanted this ending to end. He wanted Nancy to just drive away in the car and kind of like get fold over and have the Freddy Krueger sweater on top of it and that be and that be the film. But the production company didn't like that. They said it needed to be a twist. And so they kind of went through back and forth and this is how they decided to make it the most sort of subtle as to be like Freddy Krueger's, which it wasn't subtle. But I really, I, I kind of rather, I like Wes Craven's ending more and I kind of wish it was in the film because it was too on the nose for me that I was like, oh, Freddy Krueger's, like he he didn't wasn't defeated he's still messing with this girl right and but you know you win some and you lose some i guess (laughs) but overall movie super fun super cheesy totally loved it and honestly because i had so much fun watching this movie i'd give it four tongue phones out of five you know it didn't make me want to go in and watch all the seven like the seven sequels and i'm probably not going to revisit this film anytime soon but i am kind of hooked on this classic 80s horror Right, I do want to go and watch the other ones that are just crazy and get into those because, it's, again, it's just this cheesy genre that I love because I've kind of been obsessed recently with just bad movies that are so bad they're good because they're cheesy. And this really fit into that category and it really, really worked for me. Really enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to hop into some reviews. Uh, the review I'm going to read today is a 1 out of 10 review from IMDb user Lynn Blake 1108 who brought up some really good points that I wanted to uh, talk about. Uh, they say, I have plenty of qualms with the film, but the following is definitely number one. I've yet to see the remake, the prequel, or the sequel, so I'm wondering who Freddy is. I don't think that it's enough to say, oh, Fred Krueger was a child murderer, so we offed him. No, there are plenty of scumbags in every neighborhood who deserve death and t- who deserve death time and time again, but we ordinary citizens almost never intervene. Did Freddy commit an an atrocity that hit close to home? It also wasn't very clear when Freddy was actually murdered. Yes, Nancy's mother was involved in the killing with some some other renegades, but how much time has passed? Were they themselves children, or is this some sort of PTA rally? Either way, it's these crucial details that make the story actually come to life. Without them, I have a difficult time focusing, so this movie distracted me more in that sense. And so I thought this brought up a really good point, because Freddy Krueger's backstory is very hidden in this film. Right, and contextually, going into this movie, you know, I knew that he was, like, burned in a fire. That's all I really knew, and that, and in the film, they they mention, well, there's this scene that, again, kind of comes out of nowhere, where the mom is like, I know who Fred Krueger is because I killed him. He's a child murderer, and me and some other parents got together and burned him, <laughs> and that's it. And it was just kind of like, oh, okay. And the movie moved on, never really talks about it again. Right, it's very brief, and so I totally get where Lynn Blake is coming from with this qualm of being like, I wanted more history with Freddy. And so while I agree with this, I, I do have, here are my disagreeances as well. Um, originally, Freddy was supposed to be a child molester, 
but there was a spree of crimes before the film came out in California. And so the studio didn't want to have it look like they were like poking fun at that or making a comment on that. So they changed it to just being a child murderer, which is still bad. But I think even this scene might have been more powerful if it was just like he was a child molester because that's like that holds so much weight in the world. Not that child murdering doesn't, but I just feel like it is, it's kind of like a hot button topic because it's so horrible, right? It's so horrible to think about and so it might have made it the scene make more sense because it's just more of a heinous crime and it might have been something that we're more willing to be like oh he was a child molester well it makes sense that they burned his house down and killed him because that's such a horrible horrible thing to do right it might have led to that more quickly than just murder because in this film murder is so apparent and around us always but in these types of films especially in the 80s molestation really wasn't and so I, I think that might have had part of it and the other thing that I was thinking as I kind of read this is the whole idea of this film is subversion of reality right and we're not sure whether it's a dream or not and so what if this scene is a dream that Nancy's having right because in, in she's the whole movie she's struggling to take control and to 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 kind of show that she has agency and use her agency to gain power and it also shows that the mom has Freddy Krueger's knives in the boiler room, which doesn't make a lot of sense because how would she get his knives if they just burned the basement down? And so this could have been a dream and Freddy Krueger could have set it up to kind of have Nancy go after him so that he could kind of take control on a whole other level and, and subvert her even further into his games because we learn at the end that he's not actually gone and he, she, she didn't actually win. And so that's something that I was thinking that could have worked. It seems a little bit too deep for the, and I might be giving too much meaning to this movie because it's so surface level. But, you know, it could be Wes Craven's not a dumb dude. He's a smart guy. And it could have been something that he was alluding to and they just didn't have time because it was a short film. But I do, I do agree that Freddy's backstory was very much like, oh, he's a child murderer and I killed him. And then they moved on. So I thought that was a good point. Oh. You know what that sounds means. That sounds mean. That sound means it's time for our new segment, Geek Film Prediction. I thought this little puppy up, and I'm gonna spring it on you like a chicken. <laughs> um, I'm gonna do a segment each week where I'm gonna look at the look at the. It's the summertime, so movies are coming out each week. So I'm gonna look at the slate, pick a movie that's coming out in the next week or so, and using my abilities and my film knowledge, I'm gonna predict this movie's rating on IMDb. So the film that I'm going to do this week, it's coming out May 24, 21st. It's a horror film called Seance, starring Suki Waterhouse and Madison Beattie. And it's written and directed by Simon Barrett. And so what I'm going to do, and what I've done, is I, I looked at this film, and I it's a horror mystery film. And I'm going to predict what its rating will be seven days from today when I record this podcast next. Uh, I'll read you the synopsis on IMDb. It says, Camille, a young woman who arrives at the Fairfield Academy, follows one of the students' untimely and violent deaths. So that's all we're giving us. So, but based on Simon Barrett's previous work with You're Next, The Guest, and VHS, um, and Suki Waterhouse's work as well, I think this movie by next week is going to be sitting pretty at a... 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb. And so we'll check in next week and see how that is. But that's my prediction for this week. Um, and that's going to do it for me today. I appreciate you listening. If you've listened to any of the episodes, so grateful. 
Um, I'm still figuring this out. It's difficult doing a podcast by yourself, and so I'm still trying to figure out how to make a podcast that I would like to listen to, and I think today's format was a little bit closer to that. I think I had more fun doing it, and so bear with me. Stick around if you liked it, and if you want to hit me up, you can send me an email at luke.jackson at thegeekwave.com or follow me at Twitter at underscore underscore Luke Jackson, underscore underscore Luke dot Jackson, and yeah, I'd love to interact with you and get to know you a little bit better. Um, the last review I'm going to read today, I'm going to leave you with the wise words of a IMDb user, Cool Kid Gaming Reviews, who said, uh, So, uh, some big dum-dum writer decided to kill Johnny Depp. You don't kill the Depp man, the Depp man kills you. So, this movie actually 0 out of 10, but big dumb IMDb will let you rate 0 out of 10. I rate IMDb negative 5,645 out of 10. Thank you. So Sarah Arley, Cool Kid Gaming Reviews. <laughs> for Geek Film Critic, I'm Luke Jackson. Thanks for listening.